0: Well, Gary yesterday began by uh, referring to Aeschylus and Virgil and um, Stephen Clark this morning referring to Wittgenstein. But I want to tell you a a true story overheard by a good Christian woman in the hairdressers in (laughs) Ipswich. True story. A woman was giving a dinner party. And uh, the guests had arrived. She went into the kitchen to find her cat chewing on the chicken she had just cooked. She decided to cut off where the cat had been, carve the rest, serve up. It will be okay. Main course completed. She returned to the kitchen for the dessert to look out onto her drive. To see the cat lying dead. Suspecting food poisoning, in a panic, she went into a guest, confessed all, promptly took her guests to the local accident and emergency department, had their stomachs pumped. <laughs> the next morning, her neighbour knocked on the door looking very shamefaced. Last night, he said, I reversed into your drive, and I think I clipped your cat's head and killed it. Lesson, a guilty conscience can cause sinners to jump to conclusions and panic and do ridiculous things. And pastors can do the same. Now, we're looking this afternoon at uh, God's sovereignty over human sin and our comfort and we're going to be basing that on the story of Isaac and Ishmael because of course we're doing this two uh, brother theme here god's sovereignty over human sin and the point of the talk is not to pander to sin but to comfort us and to keep us from panic as sin- sinners Isaac and Ishmael, uh, um, of course, are a central part of of Abraham's story, and I've given a little chiastic possible overview of the Abraham material in Genesis, which I think does have merit. I I chose this one because I know that Gary hates chiasms, (laughs) or has worries about them. But I think it does have some merit, merit, and the point is basically for us to just have a little look with our eyes and, and enable us to get our heads around that Old Testament epic and see the place of our passage, Genesis 21, 1 to 21, in a little bit of context, just to refresh your memory of Abraham's story. And of course, Abraham's story moves um, from the initial faltering faith, imperfect faith in God's promises, through to the climax on Mount Moriah in Genesis 22, prepared to sacrifice Isaac, where his faith is unswerving. He will do this. And through this odyssey of faith, the ups and downs, God is revealing himself as sovereign and totally faithful, totally trustworthy. And he is just the same for us too. We who are in the ministry in the 21st century. And as Genesis is written, written, collated by Moses, we may take it indeed that the wilderness generation of Israel, redeemed from Egyptian slavery, are the initial audience of this text. Very much a people prone to unbelief, prone to panic. But what they learn applies to us as well. Our passage divides fairly naturally into two parts Isaac and then Is- Ishmael. Uh, my wife encouraged me to give the two parts the titles the heir and the spare. But I've decided against that. <laughs> so let's look first of all at verses one to seven. Alright, where we will head that God's sovereignty in the positives we experience. God's sovereignty in the positives we experience. Taking Abraham as the archetypal believer, we learn here that our sin, praise God, cannot thwart the purposes of God for his glory and our good. That's the main thrust here. This is underlined in three steps. Look first of all at verses 1 and 2. Now, the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised. Abraham, sorry, stop there, at the very time God had promised. So the thrust in those first two verses is that the birth came about by God's energy, by God's power alone. The Lord was gracious. The Lord did for Sarah at the time God promised. Referring back to 18 verse 10. This is all of God. And three times in those two verses, the name of Sarah is mentioned. In some respects, Sarah seems to have been the last person Abraham thought would give him an heir. Well, the text is kind of rubbing it in three times, Sarah, Sarah, Sarah. Perhaps it was her barrenness. Perhaps it was so profound that twice Abraham kind of discounts her so much that they'd been prepared to lie and to use her as a bit of a human shield. First of all with Pharaoh, then with Abimelech. To do that for his own protection, say you are my sister, putting her chastity and perhaps even her life at risk. How was Abraham any better than Lot offering his daughters to the men of Sodom? But no, God twice intervened. Sarah is God's chosen instrument. And because God is God... Sarah conceives, despite Abraham's attitude. God is sovereign, not only over Sarah's barrenness, but also over Abraham's discounting and unbelieving towards her. So, the thrust. God alone has done this. And now look at verses 3 to 5. Abraham gave the name Isaac... To the son Sarah bore him, when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And here the impossibility, if you like, the impossibility of it all is given profile, highlight, headline. Again, in those verses, the name Isaac is mentioned. Three times. But it's the impossibility of it all. A father a hundred years old. A woman barren all her life. And now old and past age. Becoming parents. It's an absolute non-starter. It's laughable. Couldn't help but quote Matthew Henry. He says here, a sentence of death was, as it were, passed on all second causes. That's how he comments on these verses. But it happens. And so the child is named Isaac, laughter. And as Abraham obediently circumcises his son, we are reminded, underlined, this does not happen by the flesh. The flesh is stripped away. Abraham, of course, has plenty of fleshly schemes, or had plenty of fleshly schemes, to try to manipulate, to try and manufacture the fulfillment of God's promise. Perhaps lots to begin with. Eliezer. Most disturbing of all, of course. A scheme, as Gary reminded us yesterday, paralleling the fall in Eden. Adam and Eve like, Abraham listens to his wife, Take my Egyptian slave girl Hagar and Ishmael is born. Manufacturing, manipulating the flesh. But the promise is fulfilled without and indeed despite the flesh. The context is God's covenant portrayed in circumcision, the rejection of the flesh. And reliance on the righteousness, the faithfulness at this point of God and then look at verses 6 and 7 Sarah said God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me and she added who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children yet I have borne him a son in his old age And here in these verses, the spotlight falls on Sarah and her reaction. The impact on Sarah of the incongruity of it all. Such old parents having a child. It's laughable. God has done what God has done is both full of joy and wonder for Sarah. She laughs. It is laughter occasioned by the ridiculous grace and power of God. She who sinfully and cynically laughed at God and his promise, 18 verse 12, now laughs joyously with God. And there is wonder too. There's a question of astonishment that keeps running round her brain. Who would have said? Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son. God has done this for me, a great sinner. The sovereignty of God's grace sweeps aside her sins, sweeps aside our sins. Praise God for that. So here are these just bits and pieces of the text. What a crooked, benighted, dead, if you like, couple Abraham and Sarah were. Pastor, think about yourself and your wife. Think about yourself and your wife in the light of those verses. Think first. Let's go back to basics. Think about the sovereignty of grace the wonder of grace over sin the woman who laughed at God in unbelief is laughing with God in wonder oh the magnanimity of God towards sinners towards us who would have said verse 7 Who would have thought? And perhaps we think about our own background. You know, a boy from the back streets of West London (laughs) with all the stuff that was... Who would have said that God would do something for him? Let's go back to the Gospel of Wonder. Again, Matthew Henry. Who would have said that God would send his son to die for us? Who would have said that such great sins would be pardoned, such mean services accepted, and such worthless worms taken into covenant and communion with the great and holy God? The wonder of the sovereignty. Of grace over our sins. And we would add. And who would have thought. That God would have given us the privilege. Of pastoring his people. And preaching his word. The sovereignty of God over human sin. Our comfort. Pastor and wife you can look at your sins. You can look them in the face. And know God's grace is more than enough. Let's have a second application. The sovereignty of God over the feeble and failing faith of Abraham. Let's plug it into ourselves. As pastors, we are meant to be men of faith. Not only men of faith ourselves, Believing the word of God, but that's what we tell other people to do. Don't we? That's our, in, a, in a way, that's our job. But often we know, looking into our hearts, that though we do have faith, it's small, it's imperfect. We preach faith in the face of trouble, and then trouble comes to us. And faith in the face of death. But if we're honest, sometimes we're worried about dying. Oh Lord, my faith is so imperfect. So threadbare. But God's sovereign grace is greater than the sinfulness of our feeble faith. Genesis 15 verse 6. The Great Reformation text Abraham believed God and he credited it to him as righteousness. Genesis fifteen six comes before Genesis sixteen, the debacle with Hagar. Yet it's counted as true faith. True faith. Doesn't that encourage you? The sovereignty of God's grace over sin. We're not accepted because of perfect faith, but because of faith in Christ. So the third application. This dead, in some ways, out of step couple sometimes. We think back to Pharaoh and Abimelech. This couple, such sinners. Yet God makes them fruitful. We, pastor and wife, we look at ourselves. We look at our little gifting, our little education. We think of some of the high flyers in our congregations to whom we're meant to minister, who are far more able, perhaps, than we are. How can God use us? But we see here, That God uses an ordinary man and woman. We see the sovereignty of God's power and grace over sin. Yes, God uses people like us to be vehicles of his saving promises and to bring fruit into his church. God's sovereignty then over sin in the positives that we experience. But let's look at the second part of the passage, verses 8 to 21, which we will call God's sovereignty in the negatives we have to deal with. God's sovereignty in the negatives we have to deal with. In verses 8 to 21, here we have the older brother, Ishmael's despising of Isaac and subsequent ejection of himself and his mother from the covenant family. Verse 8, the child grew, that's Isaac, and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Isaac was mocking And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share the inheritance with my son Isaac. Calvin uses uh, this to argue against the lure of Roman Catholicism. The siren voice of return to the ancient church, the, the older church. No, says Calvin, the older brother is rejected and disobedient. And actually it's interesting, it's a mark, it seems to me, of Ishmael's rejection that though he is obviously referred to here, his actual name is studiously avoided in this entire section. His name means God hears That word play is used in the section, but his name is not. Again, let's just look at the verses for a little while. First of all, let's see three things. Let's see God's justice in this rejection of Ishmael and Hagar. This is not a capricious act on God's part. Verse 9. Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. Ishmael, uh, born when Abraham was 86, uh, Genesis 16:16. 16, 16. Isaac, born to Abraham when he was 100, verse 5, so it's 14 years. For Isaac to be weaned, perhaps two or three years. So here we have Ishmael, a young man, of perhaps 16, 17 years old. Taunting and mocking a little toddler. So much weaker. And the heart of Ishmael is, has been, re, been exposed by the presence of that little toddler. God is not unjust. Also, by this age, Ishmael would probably have been aware of God's promise. And the promise being for Isaac, and therefore, the mocking of Isaac is the mocking of God. Don't think, little Isaac, you will inherit. I'm bigger, I'm older. I will always outsmart you, or I'll kill you. Galatians 4.29 speaks about Ishmael persecuting Isaac, you see. God's rejection is not baseless. It is not a capricious thing. Hagar has despised Sarah. Ishmael mocks Isaac. And therefore, there's justice in this rejection. But second, let's notice God's sovereignty in the rejection. Here is uh, he's, he's Ishmael, he's, he's, he's mocking the people of God, he's, he's mocking Isaac. Let's notice God's sovereignty in the rejection. Of course it was never God's intention that Ishmael should inherit the promise. God is sovereign over both good and evil. God's sovereignty over good and evil is absolute, though it is asymmetric. He is the author of all that is good, but although he is sovereign over evil, he is never ever the author of sin or evil. So without originating Ishmael's mockery, God knows how this proud sinner, Ishmael, will react to little Isaac. And in fact, I think that's a little bit in the text, isn't it? God has, in a sense, set this up for Ishmael. Because that word mocking, in verse 9, is the same word as Isaac. He was isaac king. Isaac, says Philip Eveson's commentary on Genesis. He was isaac king. Isaac. Who gave him the name Isaac? God. So there's a sovereignty about what's going on here. And actually it's interesting, almost as an aside, there are other strange indications of of God's sovereignty um, over Ishmael, uh, shown not only by saving his life, as God hears his cry, probably both the mother and the the son, and perhaps the son, he's 16, 17 years old, perhaps he was ill at this time. Some say that. That's why he's in such a bad state in the desert while his mum isn't. But God hears. God is faithful. But also, it's the interesting, just a little interesting aside, the embedding of that in the text of Hagar moves to a distance of a bow shot, verse 16, which I think is a, what's it called, a, a hapex legomenon, uh, a one a off use of that idea of the bow shot in the Old Testament. And strangely, what does Ishmael become? Verse 20, an archer, an expert archer. What? What? That's that's a strange little thing there, isn't it? But it just speaks of God being in control of all this. And God is also sovereign. So he's got, God is so sovereign over, over Ishmael's sin, but God is also sovereign in Sarah's strident, I think sinful response, her reaction, verse 10. It isn't totally sinful, but it's explosive, isn't it? And she said to Abraham, ordering her husband about, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. Calvin says, I do not deny that Sarah exceeded the bounds of moderation. (laughs) I yet do not doubt both her tongue and her mind were governed by a secret impulse of the Spirit and that the whole affair was directed by the providence of God. Let's just have a a little application here. Things are getting messy. They've had the joy of the birth of Isaac. But things are getting messy now, aren't they, in the text, in, in, this, in, this, in these events. And sometimes things get messy in the church, Pastor. Don't they? Sometimes you have periods of, you know, things are going as they should do. But there are other periods where things blow up. And I think the text would encourage us to say, well, God is still sovereign. God is sovereign in the sinful explosions and perhaps opposition and harsh words that we face. That's what basically is happening to Abraham here. He's facing some strong stuff, isn't he, from his wife. God is sovereign in the negatives we have to deal with. I have to say, of course, we as pastors are not always right. And sometimes the negatives we get, we, we, we deserve them, and we should say sorry. But sometimes, in fact, quite often, there are situations where things blow up and you think, well, what did I ever do to them? What did I ever do but they've treated me like this. But in those messy things, we've got to learn God is in control. God is in control. Let's see the bigger picture. Let's learn to forgive those people. Let's learn that perhaps for his own purposes, God has allowed that trouble to impact us for his purposes. Sometimes the trouble we face, the failures we go through, prepare us. Peter's denials of Christ. But when you are converted, when you've repented, strengthen your brothers. He's in the perfect position to know what pressure is like. And therefore he's able to write one Peter to the persecuted church. He's been prepared, and the sovereignty of God was even at work there. And let's just press on again with the text at this point. And again, God's sovereignty in the rejection, God overrules, and I I see it like this, overrules Abraham's half-hearted obedience. Listen to your wife, says God, do what she says, but there is a sense in which it's a bit half-hearted. Hagar and son are sent off, verse 14, with very few provisions. Again, Calvin thinks, hoping they wouldn't stray very far and would return when maybe Sarah had calmed down. Ishmael was still Abraham's firstborn son. He'd loved that boy, although he'd been such a a pain so vile so Abraham obeys but it's a little bit mm, not quite what you would expect but God intervenes and makes the separation permanent verses 20-21 God was with the boy as he grew up and while he was living in the desert of Paran his mother got a wife for him from Egypt so God initiates and God pushes and God confirms this separation. And let's just get back into Abraham's shoes because he's a man of faith, but like us all, he has, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And perhaps Anne's comment, the air and the spare, perhaps was in Abraham's mind. Oh, yeah, this is... Just reading the books of uh, Philippa Gregory, perhaps some of you know those novels of English history, the Kings and the Queens, very often in those books it's kind of underlined. The Queen's job is not to produce one heir but two heirs because of infant mortality rates, You know, to actually have belt and braces for the future. And so perhaps even now there's, there's something of that with Abraham. Well Abraham is not only the archetypal believer but he's also a pastor. I've skipped a bit, I must go back. (laughs) We've had the justice of uh, God in the rejection we've had the sovereignty of God in the rejection but also thirdly we have God's purposes of course in the rejection and we can detect at least four very briefly can't we? First of all, to safeguard Isaac's inheritance, obviously, the promise to come through the child of promise, safeguarding God's promise, safeguarding God's glory. Salvation is of God alone. That's one purpose in this separation. Secondly, flowing from that, if you like the validity of that whole allegory, of the gospel in Galatians 4 that Gary opened up for us yesterday. The true church is not of works and flesh. But of the spirit and of faith. And here's he he, the picture of it. God's purpose. Who sees the end from the beginning. And thirdly of course this history of Ishmael warns Moses wilderness generation. Here's Hagar from Egypt taking a wife from Egypt but they're rejected. Moses' wilderness generation being warned that the way to Egypt the way back to Egypt is the way of rejection. And four of course fourth purpose to show the ongoing enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman yet God Rules. And of course, that strand surfaces later again in Genesis as the brothers sell Joseph, who to the Ishmaelites. But God is working over and above that for good. Now, as I say, Abraham is not only the archetypal believer, he's also a pastor to his family. Chapter 18, verse 19, Abraham will teach his family. Pastor, God is sovereign over sin and sovereign over the messy stuff that has to go on sometime in the church. Trust him in those times as well. In Galatians, Paul is... Basically, he's saying, isn't he, he's, saying he's, he's picking up on the words of, um, of, of Sarah, get rid of the slave woman and her son. And presumably that's, those words, get rid of, are meant to have some kind of practical outworking in the churches. Get rid of those false teachers, those legalists, those critics of the gospel, who stir up trouble, do something about it. Don't just say, oh, this is a nice allegory. Do something about it, it seems. And church discipline, of course, is messy. It's hard. We're reluctant, like Abraham, to get rid of Ishmael. Yet God is sovereign. God has set up this situation perhaps to test our obedience. Will we do right and trust the result to God in his sovereignty? And of course in the story here of of, of the future of Ishmael and Hagar, God is very gracious to those who uh, are are rejected. Are we prepared to, to trust God and do what is right before him for the good of the churches? Perhaps it's a family, family member of your own in the church. Or perhaps an elder's daughter or someone is involved in some sin, difficult, and it's going to be very, very hard to sort this out in the church. Oh, let's just leave it. No, this is saying, trust in God's sovereignty. Do what is right before God, even though it's hard. And trust the outcome to him. Don't shy away. Trust God for the outcome. Abraham is told to send them away. It's messy. God gives reassurances, verses 11 to 13. But still, as we've said, Abraham is hesitant, it seems. But he does it. And one can't help but make the parallel between here, chapter 21, and chapter 22. This episode almost seems like a bit of preparation for Abraham, for chapter 22. Get rid of this beloved son, Ishmael. Well, here's another beloved son. And they go on a journey. And Abraham this time goes on the journey. It's another call to trust God and let the Son go in obedience to God. And thankfully, it's another episode where an angel calls from heaven. Verse 17. Hey God, what's the matter? Why well, it's so reminiscent, isn't it, of... Chapter 22, the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, intervening. Two sons, two journeys, two calls to trust God, two in- interventions. The Lord, he seems to be working. 21 is a preparation for chapter 22. He is sovereignly shaping you, Pastor even in the messy stuff. The sovereignty of God over human sin, our comfort, pastor. Once we understand the unbreakable grip of the sovereignty of God over human sins, our sins, the sins of others, we're not only made comforted, but we're made confident. Last point. What's the purpose of that comfort and confidence? Pastor. You see the sovereignty of God, you're, made, you're warmed, you're comforted, you're made confident as you grasp these things. To what end? just so that you feel good and it's okay Well, there's nothing wrong with that, that that's, a, that's a good end but I think the New Testament would say a little bit more than that the purpose of your com- comfort and confidence pastor is to set you free from self to care for and serve other people to be able to forget yourself and serve the flock that God has given you. Just recently I met for the first time um, uh, a dear black Pentecostal brother from Leeds and he has a little saying which has stuck with me and I hope it sticks with you. You see in a Bible college in the John Owen Centre we want knowledge to increase. That's absolutely great. There's nothing wrong with that. But this chap, Ben would just say, yeah, that's great, but remember this as a pastor. Remember this about your flock. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And the purpose of this comfort and this confidence is to be set free to care pastor you are a carer a shepherd that's what this is about Amen